0: 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Chào các bạn, mình tên là Trần Văn Thắng. Mình là một giáo viên tiếng Anh, cũng là một giáo viên tiếng Việt đang sinh sống và làm việc tại Thái Bình của Việt Nam. Hi, my name is Jun Ban Tang. I live in Taibin in Vietnam and I teach English and Vietnamese.
1: I started listening to KBS World Radio in
0: 2012. KBS World Radio
1: has been introducing me to Korea's economy, culture, society and more, broadening my understanding of the country. Just as I started to think about visiting Korea, I came across an opportunity to go in 2018 during my week-long stay in Korea I went to various museums and cultural heritage sites I was deeply impressed by how Korea takes care and
0: respects its cultural assets congratulations KBS World Radio on your 70th anniversary Hà Quốc đang lưu trị và cuối cùng xin chúc mừng kỷ niệm phát sóng KBS radio. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are.
1: Hello, it's Tuesday the 14th of February, and welcome to Korea 24, I'm your host Kwon jang South Korea, the U.S. and Japan have reaffirmed their commitment to the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula and enhanced cooperation to counter threats by North Korea. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. The earthquake in Turkey and Syria last week has become one of the deadliest disasters seen this century. We talked to an expert to examine how it became so deadly for our in depth today. And coming up for Touch Basin's Hole, we speak to a celebrated Korean pianist who is set to join the faculty of a prestigious conservatory in the US. Let's begin, Korea 24. South Korea's first Vice Foreign Minister, Cho Yondong met with his U.S. and Japanese counterparts, the U.S. Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman, and Japanese Vice Foreign Minister, Takeo Mori, to reaffirm their commitment to the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. And they agreed to enhance trilateral cooperation to counter North Korea's nuclear and missile threats as well. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor, Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello there, jungle. So this was another opportunity to reaffirm the trilateral cooperation, particularly when it comes to North Korea. But they also touched on issues related to China. Can you tell us more about the meeting?
2: Well, South Korea's first Vice Foreign Minister, Trion Dong, U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman and Japanese Vice Foreign Minister Takeo Mori held their first three-way talks of the year in Washington and held a joint press conference on Monday. They said the trilateral ties grow stronger in the face of growing nuclear threats from North Korea. So as far as foreign minister told reporters peace without denuclearization is fake.
3: Peace without denuclearization is fake peace. North Korea has launched a record number of missiles last year and is yet threatening further ICBM and military satellite launches. In response to this threat, we will strengthen robust ROK-US combined defense posture And at the same time, enhance our trilateral security cooperation with U.S. and Japan.
2: Meanwhile, Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman suggested that Washington will continue to pressure the regime.
3: Standing united, our nations will deter the DPRK and urge it to give up its nuclear weapons program and abide by its obligations under U.N. Security Council resolutions. We call for full implementation by the international community and encourage the DPRK to return to dialogue.
2: The three sides also agreed to stand together in dealing with China on the part of the U.S. amidst strained bilateral relations with China over Chinese spy balloons, Sherman stressed that Washington remains aligned with Seoul and Tokyo to push back on China's behavior, which she believes challenges the rules-based regional and international order. She highlighted the need to counter China's destabilizing activities in the South and East China Seas and to keep working to maintain peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. Still, the deputy secretary left the door for collaboration open to China listing climate change, global health and non-proliferation as potential areas of partnership.
1: The, vo- forum, the Vice Foreign Ministers of South Korea and Japan held separate talks as well, the key topic being wartime forced labour compensation, a uh, sensitive issue of course. Uh, it was a
2: two and a half hour meeting. What more can you tell us about the marathon session? Well, during Monday's sit-down, Minister Choi and his Japanese counterpart Takeo Mori reportedly focused on third-party payment and Tokyo's sincere response to Seoul's proposal to establish a public foundation to manage the compensation. After the meeting, Joe said they continue to seek common ground without elaborating further. He said Tokyo is likewise very sensitive about the discussions and is closely monitoring related reports by South Korean media outlets as well. The minister explained the matter could be further discussed between the foreign ministers on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference later this week. Regarding Japan's planned release of radioactive water from the Fukushima nuclear plant into the ocean, Joe conveyed solves scientific concerns and urged Tokyo to make further efforts to mitigate them.
1: Okay, let's turn now to some political issues closer to home. The floor leader of the ruling People Power Party said parliamentary democracy. Has begun to rapidly collapse since the main opposition Democratic Party secured an overwhelming majority in the last
2: general election. So, can you tell us more about his comments? Well, in this emotion charge addressed to Parliament on Tuesday, Chuo Young accused the DP of stripping away parliamentary democracy by incapacitating bipartisanship, bipartisanship, that is. The floor leader referred to the DP's arrangement of a fake defection of one of its lawmakers last year to railroad bill aimed at stripping the prosecution of its investigative power through a committee. Chu then reproached D.P. Chief Lee Jae-myung, currently under investigation by the prosecution, for accusing the state agency of attempting political oppression and harming the Assembly's dignity. He also mentioned personnel, financial and legislative controversies during the previous administration, saying Moon Jae-in's presidency was uh, full of hypocrisy and it was far from democracy or fairness.
1: You mentioned there the opposition Democratic Party leader Lee Jae-myung. Prosecutors investigating corruption allegations linked to E to property development projects are expected to soon decide whether they will request an arrest warrant uh, for him. And that
2: comes after uh, three rounds of questioning. Can you tell us more? That's right, Zhang This is coming from an official of the probe team at the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office on Tuesday. There is likely no need for additional summons considering the progress made in E's attitude during questioning. The team will comprehensively review its findings, then decide how the investigation should be carried out, including whether they should seek an arrest warrant. The official said it is regrettable that E did not give detailed responses during the previous sessions when presented with evidence and materials that he himself was briefed on and approved. The D.P. chief has been grueled over alleged corruption in development projects in Daejangdong and Wirae in Songnam, Gyeonggi Province, that began while he was serving as the city's mayor. Also on Tuesday, the D.P. chief told reporters he does not understand the prosecution's plan to soon decide on his arrest warrant, saying that he isn't going anywhere. He rhetorically asked whether the prosecution thought he was going to flee, and said that if there is evidence, they should just disclose it to the media.
1: Meanwhile, prosecutors are seeking an arrest warrant for the businessman Kim Man-be for hiding criminally acquired profits and destroying evidence in the case of the Daejang-dong land development scandal. That's also related to E, as you mentioned.
2: This is coming on Tuesday. The Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office filed for the court-issued warrant for the biggest shareholder of the asset management company Hwachon yu at the center of the scandal. Kim Han-bae is accused of hiding checks worth some 34 billion won or nearly 27 million U.S. dollars in profits in connection to the daejang project. He had some inside a studio apartment leased under a false name and others in a rented-safe deposit box between October 2021 and November 2022. Kim is also suspected of ordering an interior business owner surnamed Kim to discard his mobile phone containing evidence linked to the project in September 2021. Last December, Kim, Kim allegedly asked an acquaintance surname Pak to conceal a check valued at 14.2 billion won out of an expected preservation of assets for forfeiture by the court. Kim was arrested in 2021 and released about a year later on charges of breach of duty regarding the development project. Let's now get an update on the earthquake that hit
1: southeastern Turkey and Syria last week. The death toll from the 7.8 magnitude earthquake reportedly has now topped 37,000. Can you give us the latest?
2: Well, according to the Turkish Disaster and Emergency Management Authority, on Monday, more than 31,600 people have died following last Monday's quake and aftershocks. At least 5,700 deaths in Syria. The combined death toll reportedly exceeded 37,000. This is larger than 31,000 recorded in the 2003 earthquake in Iran making the latest quake the the world's sixth deadliest natural disaster of the 21st century. Various foreign media reported the rescue phase is coming to a close. Urgency now shifts to providing shelter, food, schooling and uh, psychosocial care as well. Survivors are reportedly exposed to freezing temperatures, hunger and lack of water amid continued aftershocks. On Monday, a spokesperson for President Yoon announced South Korea We'll send a second disaster response team on Turkey, uh, along with tents and blankets as well. Meanwhile,
1: the National Assembly has adopted a resolution that honors the victims of the massive earthquake in Turkey and Syria and calls for Seoul's prompt assistance in the ongoing recovery and humanitarian efforts.
2: Can you give us more details? But the resolution, which expressed condolences to the citizens of the two countries, was supported by 228 out of 229 lawmakers, one abstained. This happened on Tuesday's plenary session. Ruling People Power Party Kim Tae-ho, the chair of the Parliamentary Foreign Affairs Committee, said the resolution includes a call for the guaranteed safety of South Korean nationals, students and travelers in the region. Rival parties also approved a motion for assembly members to donate around Three percent of their salaries this month to support the quake victims. That will be about 207,001 per lawmaker from an average estimated monthly income of around 6.91 million won. We'll wrap it up there for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: It's been over a week since a massive earthquake struck Turkey and Syria, and the aftermath has shocked the two countries and the world. Rescue teams and aid has arrived from around the world, but, earth, but the earthquake has already become one of the deadliest disasters of the century. Ilan Kelman, Professor of Disasters and Health at the University College London, joins us on the line now for our in-depth news analysis to discuss the recent earthquake and what can be done to prevent further disasters like this. Professor, hello and thank you for joining us today.
3: Hello, thank you for the opportunity.
1: So, first off, can you give us a bit more perspective about this earthquake? How big an earthquake with a magnitude of 7.8 is that? Could you put that number into perspective for us?
3: Yes, this is big. And it is not just the magnitude, it is also the depth. This one was quite shallow. So when we talk about 10 to 15 kilometers, that is very shallow for the Earth, which means that there would be extensive shaking on the surface. Anyone nearby would feel it and would have difficulty standing up. And as we've seen, the tremors really traveled quite far, leading to building collapses a long way away. This is definitely a big earthquake being in terms of the magnitude and the shallowness. So we've seen the level of devastation which it caused.
1: Yes, and it has done huge damage to the region. Is this something that could have been foreseen? How vulnerable to earthquakes is Turkey and Syria?
3: It was absolutely foreseen, and this is the horror. It was known it could happen, this size of earthquake and and the depth. It was known that the vulnerability was there and that buildings could collapse. In fact, a similar one struck in 1939 and also caused the devastation. Turkey and Syria, the whole region, are very prone to earthquakes, including ones that could potentially be larger than this. Turkey last had a major disaster involving an earthquake in actually 1999, so easily within living memory, the 17th of August. And as terrible, we saw very similar structural collapses, over 17,000 people were killed. So we've had almost a generation to recognize the vulnerability. The earthquake hazard was known, and it is so terrible that so little was done to prevent all the deaths, injuries, and disruption.
1: Right, so last week's quake was particularly violent, but sadly, uh, you're saying it could have been foreseen. And in fact, that another one uh, could strike the region in the future as well. It's been over a week now. Could you explain the current situation over there? Uh, What are people going through? What do they need most?
3: Well, right now, people need the basics to live day to day. So there is some shelter going up, but it is winter there. And almost every night since the earthquake, there has been below freezing temperatures. The days have not been too warm. We need heat to survive. Some places do seem to have enough food, but there is not always enough drinking water. And water and food, of course, are essential to survive. For food, we have to wash our hands and utensils properly before and after handling food. And food has to be cooked properly. That requires some form of fuel. That requires people to do it. That requires extensive care. So in Syria, there are some reports coming out of the spread of cholera, for example, and cholera was there before. It is not usual that new diseases emerge after disaster, but existing diseases can certainly get worse, and it could be the case with cholera. So we're talking about hygiene, we're talking about the basics to live, but then people also have to know there's a future. Can the kids get back to school because education and socialization are so important? Can people continue their work to earn money? Do they have the time to grieve for what they've lost, the people they've lost, the communities they've lost? And can they envision a future where their lives, their livelihoods, their places are reconstructed, especially reconstructed in such a way that this disaster never happens again?
1: Right, they need warmth and hygiene and hope is what you're saying. How long is the recovery uh, from a disaster like this, do you think? Uh, it's how... up... Professor?
3: Yeah, it, it, is up, it is up to us. If we were willing to assist, if we were willing to put in the resources and do what ought to be done, then it could be in terms of weeks and months. Sadly, we see that does not happen. So attention goes away from it. There may be other disasters. This is an area of major conflict, and it is very hard to reconstruct in the long term while a major conflict is going on. Mm. So we absolutely have to have conflict resolution. And unfortunately, we often see that years, years after a major disaster, people are still experiencing the rubble there. They've still not cleaned up properly, and they are still dealing with the aftermath. A very awful example is actually Haiti. And the 12th January 2010 earthquake, people are still recovering and reconstructing from that, not helped by the 2021 earthquake. And that's a question of just poor government, corruption, violence and conflict, and a world that does not have the interest in supporting people who need it and providing the resources are absolutely essential. You
1: talked about conflict resolution. That is a major factor that has affected the complexity of the situation in Turkey and Syria, right?
3: Yes. So I've done a lot of work on disaster diplomacy, trying to determine if and how disasters lead to peace and cooperation. And the rather sad and frustrating conclusion is that even a disaster of this size does not support peace in the long term. This region is especially complicated. For the past generation, Turkey has had effectively a dictator leading the country who has perpetuated violence against its citizens. Syria has been an open warfare since 2011. Throughout the region in Syria, Turkey and Iraq, Kurds have been looking for a homeland have been fighting for it and have been oppressed because of it we also have the wider middle east situation the difficulties between syria and turkey between syria and lebanon between syria and israel so we have all these layers of conflict and really we ought to have been doing so much more beforehand but even now to try to get peace and much more democracy to the region which inevitably would help with any recovery and reconstruction especially preventing another disaster from occurring.
1: Mm. How much do you think the situation contributed to making this one of the deadliest disasters of the century?
3: It was absolutely one contribution. We know that fundamentally earthquakes do not kill people. Collapsing infrastructure does. We know how to build infrastructure that does not collapse even in earthquakes like this and some places are very good at it like Japan, and Seattle, but other places do not, like Haiti, and as we've seen, Turkey and Syria. When people are struggling day to day, when they are afraid of violence just walking down the street, when there is a long-term war that prevents supplies coming in, then it is actually understandable why corruption, bribery, incompetence, And poor governing of building codes and regulations may occur. We know that in both Syria and Turkey, this is a long-term problem anyway, and it was absolutely identified after the 1999 Turkey earthquake. In a conflict zone, when people are afraid of the authorities, it does not help and it does contribute directly to the poor infrastructure, to the people's vulnerability, and to their lack of ability to challenge authority to take control of their own lives and to ensure that they do not die in a perfectly typical and expected natural event like an earthquake.
1: You said this is a long-term problem that the region uh, has been preparing and dealing with. Uh, What efforts can be made uh, to further help this along to prevent these kind of disasters in the future as well?
3: We have to apply the science and engineering knowledge. Again, solve the conflict. The world has not been helping in that regard. And the situation is very difficult due to, for example, Russia's support of Syria and Russia's invasion of Ukraine almost a year ago. So it is difficult. Even within the conflict zone, a lot more could be done, at least in Turkey, to try and reach peace and support in the region to ensure that bribery and corruption are reduced, to try to bring more democracy to the place and to really be open and honest and transparent about the fact that people are scared of authorities, there is conflict going on, and yet reconstruction can and should apply to science and the engineering. Fundamentally, what the world has to say is there is no such thing as a natural disaster. They are disasters, but they are not natural. And if we support each other, if we work with the different levels of government, particularly in Turkey, if we understand that the people just want to live their lives in peace and with opportunity, then we can start reconstruction today in such a way that the next earthquake will not collapse buildings and that many other hazards of the region are dealt with without a disaster occurring.
1: How effective have those safeguards uh, you've mentioned been uh, in other countries? You mentioned uh, Japan and the U.S. earlier.
3: So Seattle and California have had many earthquakes over the past 20 and 30 years, which have been fairly large, but have not caused a lot of infrastructure collapse. There was a big one in February 2001 in Seattle, and no one was killed in collapsing buildings. The reason is that Seattle had spent about 50 years, five decades, retrofitting their infrastructure and building according to a code for a massive earthquake. Same with Japan. The 11th March 2011 tsunami was horrible, over 15,000 people dead. But the earthquake, which was one of the top five ever recorded around the world, that earthquake did not seem to kill many people. So Japan has shown That we can build our society to withstand an earthquake. And of course, it should have also built society to withstand the tsunami. This takes a long time. Japan has been doing it extensively since the Tokyo 1923 earthquake. This is many decades, which means in Turkey, in Syria, we have to start today.
1: Well, in the meantime, our thoughts continue to be with the Turkish and Syrian people as we all continue to try and come to terms with this uh, terrible tragedy we'll leave it there professor we've been speaking to professor ilan kelman at university college london thank you once again for your time today
3: thank you
0: welcome to the korea 24 stock and forex update the benchmark korea composite stock price index rose 12.94 points or 0.53% on Tuesday to close the day at 2465.64. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, gaining 7.03 points or 0.91% to close at 779.58. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 7.91 against the US dollar, closing the day at 1269.41. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr.
1: It's time now for Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have joining us in the studio now, Diane You to bring us those stories. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello,
4: jang It's good to see you too.
1: Okay, so what do you have for us today?
4: First, we'll find out which city is planning to implement a bus system that's free for all from January 2025. Then we'll go over the shocking story of a reckless bus driver who scared passengers by using his phone while driving. And we'll close today's Korea Trending segment with the heartwarming story of a bulk of cash being returned to its owner.
1: Okay, let's dive right in. Can you kick us off with that first story?
4: So Sejong City, which is a special self-governing city and the de facto administrative capital of South Korea, will implement a scheme providing free public bus services for all citizens from January 2025. It's the first metropolitan government in the country to offer all of its citizens free public transportation. The move comes after the cities of Daegu and Daejeon started to provide free bus rides to citizens aged 75 and older this year. The city announced on Monday that it will revise the ordinance in the second half of this year following the establishment of a basic plan and the reorganization of public transportation routes, which are expected to be completed by June. They said this work will take place after the results of the research on free, uh, free public transportation comes out at the end of this month.
1: Okay, so free bus rides for all in Sejong City from 2025, Mm -hmm. it looks like. Now, uh, this was one of the main pledges of the city mayor, uh, Chae min right?
4: Yes, making city bus fares free in Sejong City was a key pledge of Mayor Chae min who was elected in the local election last June. At the time, Mayor Che pledged to provide citizens with free transportation on city buses to promote the use of public transportation so that people won't have to drive their own cars, and said that, quote, if other budgets are saved and put into the operation of city buses, implementing free transportation will be possible, end quote. Uh, pledge aims to boost the use of public transportation as the city's bus usage rate is 7.9 percent, the lowest in the country. And with a lot of citizens driving their cars to work, heavy traffic jams during rush hour are another problem to tackle.
1: Right, I see. So it's about pushing the city to be less reliant on cars. Mm-hmm. It's quite remarkable, really, when considering that whole is set to raise subway and bus fares. Right. And the city is even debating the merits of raising the age for seniors who mm-hmm. are eligible for free subway and bus rides. Mm-hmm. That's due to the huge deficits the public transport system is seeing. So free bus rides for all Sejong citizens, right. that sounds like it will be quite a financial burden. How much is, is the city expecting to spend on this plan?
4: Big. The huge budget is the biggest burden on the city government, of course. Currently, the bus fare in Sejong City is 1,400 won when paid by card, which is just over $1. So considering the rate, it is estimated that there will be a deficit of 50 billion to 100 billion won every year when the free bus system is implemented. That's about 39 to $79 million, which is a huge Huge financial hole to fill. Mm. A city official said that the city plans to review how to secure the necessary budget and how to supplement the deficit in consideration of research results and financial consi- uh, conditions. So nothing comes for free. We'll have to wait and see the details of Sejong City's plans to find out how they will compensate for this deficit.
1: Yes, yeah, so a bold plan. We'll see if it works and right. whether they can afford it as mm-hmm. well. Let's move on to a second story now. What do you have for us?
4: So how would you feel if your bus driver was concentrating on their phone instead of on their driving? Mm. It becomes scarier if you consider the scenario with the bus driver speeding down a highway. Mm. Well, this situation actually occurred recently according to a video taken by a passenger. According to a report on Monday, February 7th, the driver of an intercity bus traveling to the Gyeong- uh, traveling on the Gyeongbu Expressway from Cheonan to Daejeon used his mobile phone while driving from about an hour causing passengers a lot of concern. There were 30 passengers on the bus at the time and a video filmed by one passenger shows the driver repeatedly taking both his hands off the wheel while driving so he could use his hands to operate his phone.
1: Yes the footage is online it's absolutely staggering how yes. irresponsible uh, this bus driver was mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it could have led to a terrible accident.
4: Of course, there were statements from passengers saying that the bus driver's dangerous driving did almost cause an accident at one point. One passenger said, quote, the bus almost got into an accident near the Shintanjin rest area. At the time, the cars were slowing down due to heavy traffic, but the driver didn't notice and had to brake suddenly, end quote. Another passenger who was on the bus said, quote, the bus driver was watching YouTube videos and talking on the phone with his earphones in, end quote. So as you can see, see it was a very fortunate uh, that all 30 passengers arrived at their destination without getting hurt.
1: Did the bus company say anything about this incident? And what's the current legal punishment for using a phone while driving?
4: The bus company said, "Quote: It's true that the bus driver admitted to using his cell phone, but he has stated that he didn't watch any videos." End quote. Mm. The company added that appropriate action would be taken in accordance with the company bylaws. Uh, the current Road Traffic Act prohibits drivers from using a mobile phone or watching videos while driving. If the driver or a bus or truck of a bus or truck is caught using a mobile phone while driving, they will incur a fine of 70001 won or. or For about $55 and receive 15 penalty points on their license. And if they reach 40 penalty points, their driver's license will be suspended. So thank God nothing happened this time. Hopefully we won't see any more scary incidents like this in the future.
1: Indeed. I mean, it's incredible how he tried to defend himself, admitting that he did use the phone. But no videos. But not to watch videos. That makes it okay. (laughs) That's pretty staggering. (laughs) Uh, The video evidence uh, looks uh, pretty irrefutable, so it looks like uh, he will face the full penalties as well. Mm Let's continue on to our final story. Now, Diane, what else has been trending today?
4: Well, it's not every day that you find large bundles of cash under the kitchen sink. Uh, but, but one employee of a moving company in Ursan found 24 million won in cash, which is about $19,000, under the sink while he was packing boxes for his customer. And on Monday, the National Police Agency took to social media to tell the story of the police finding the owner of these bundles of money. Okay, so they did find the owner of the money then. Mm. How were they able to do that? So the bundles of money were discovered when a tenant was moving out of the house. A moving company employee found these bundles of cash under the sink and handed them to the person who was moving out, asking why they hadn't packed them. But as the money did not belong to them, it was reported to the police. In the process of trying to track down the owner, the police contacted the landlord only to find out that it was not theirs either. The landlord actually said, quote, of the money that large doesn't belong to me, end quote. (laughs) So the police had to comb through all the tenants who had lived in that house through the real estate agent and found out that four households had lived there in the past 10 years.
1: Okay, so who was the owner of the cash then? Uh,
4: it was the second tenant who is now in her 60s. She said that due to the nature of her work, she often received her salary and bonuses in cash but didn't have time to go to the bank. So she tied bundles of 50,001 bills using currency straps with the amount written on them and kept them under the sink or in a closet. And that was exactly how the money was found. 50,001 bills kept in bundles of 100 all stored together under the sink. So Afterward, the owner of the cash paid 5 to 20% as compensation to the moving company employee and the tenant who found the money and reported the money uh, in accordance with the Lost Articles Act. She expressed her desire to make a donation to the people in need.
1: Well, thankfully, the money doesn't seem to have been involved in anything illicit, which is what <laughs> yes. I would have thought of at first right. if I would found bundles of cash under the sink. Yes. But how you could forget... About 24 million won. That's
4: also true.
1: Yes, well, at least uh, it was found and returned to the rightful owner in the end. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll wrap it up there for today's uh, career trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. January, it was announced that Korean pianist Che Hyun, currently a professor at Seoul National University, would join the piano faculty at the prestigious Peabody Institute at John Hopkins University in the U.S. She has led a distinguished career as a soloist and chamber musician, but has also taught a new generation of students who went on to win major competitions as well. Professor Che has joined us now for this week's Touch Basin's Hole to discuss her career and future plans. Professor, hello and welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to have you you on the show today. First off, congratulations on joining uh, the Peabody Institute. Uh, It must be exciting.
5: Yeah, exciting and um, scary too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, what What did I do?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, tell us, what's the process been like for you to be considered and then for you to get it? uh, How was that? how have you felt about Mm. all that process
5: actually the process was quite sudden and quite quick and I had to think uh, a lot of things in a very short span of time Mm. and uh, when it was finally finalized when I made the decision they made a decision I made the decision and it Mm. meant so what what did I too. <laughs> what happened? And then, so what's the consequences? What What's going to follow next? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was quite an um, exciting period at the end of uh, last year. And uh, yeah, very interesting time.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like it's going to be quite the honour, but also uh, quite a change. Uh, but it is the culmination of a very long and successful career that you've had. Can you take us back to the beginnings uh, yeah. of, uh, mm-hmm. of your career for our listeners? I understand that you began yeah. piano and music at a very young age. Yes. Uh, in fact, your debut concert, I mm-hmm. believe, came at the young age of six with the Incheon Philharmonic Orchestra.
5: Yes, I was six. I was um, first grader of elementary. And I was a small kid. There's also <laughs> a big kid now. Um, so small that I couldn't reach the pedal of the piano right, when I was yes. uh, giving this debut concert. And of course I was very lucky girl to have debut with uh, orchestra. Um, my family lived right next to a private piano studio. Mm. Uh, that's where it began. Uh, I was three years old and uh, there are lots of older kids, elementary Kids who came after school just to to, to um, learn piano. Mm. I waited for them whole day, and when they come, then we played together games, and I played also piano, imitating them <laughs> playing, and that's how it started. And the teacher then eventually noticed that I could do some thing on the piano, and she decided to teach me, and asked my mom for permission so so that's how it began my long relationship with piano
1: right so quite humble but also fortuitous uh, beginnings Mm -hmm. when did you know that you would continue pursuing it Uh, when did you Mm -hmm. know that it would become your life career
5: oh i think from the beginning but there was just a dream right i was too little to think about career (laughs) i had no second thoughts it was just joy i loved it. it was fun uh, but but things were happening like competition and, and winning prizes, and so on and then the time came uh when I was in Germany, I was nineteen, the second year uh, after winning certain competition after giving this winner's concert, then it began doubting, questioning myself about music, career, life vocation. Mm. And I started looking around and looking for other subjects to study, Mm. like literature, theology, philosophy, history, and things. And then it lasted quite long Mm. until I was crushed with uh, some physical trouble Mm. that troubled me playing piano. And ironically, then... I realized that this was my, this is going to be my vocation. Can yeah. you
1: tell us a little bit about uh, the physical uh, trouble the, that you had, trouble, yes. if, if you don't mind?
5: It, It's kind of quite well-known pianist disease right? with the shoulder mm. and things. And my hands were almost like paralyzed and mm. I couldn't touch the piano because the pain was so much. Wow. And, of course, doctors uh, searched and checked, but nothing was found. <laughs> so I think that was kind of related with my psychological mm. uh, um, trouble I went through. And that eventually my body was reacting to it. And then that was a the point then I found my where I was and uh, the, my inner voice and to find a harmony with it and then started to uh, heal, recover and that's I found the inner peace to accepting that's my vocation.
1: Wow so even though you're winning competitions and being successful up to that age uh, you said 19 I think yeah you were doubting uh, you weren't sure uh, but then once you almost I guess almost lost it that's when you kind of valued it again.
5: Yes yes and then Later, I realized all my wandering times doing and looking around this subject, that was a nourishment for my music.
1: Mm. And yes, you won prizes at major competitions such as Capel, Epinal, Busoni, Viotti. Uh, you've also won prizes in all four major Korean piano competitions, including the Tonga Music Competition. Yes. Looking back now at all those wins, uh, what do you make of it?
5: Um. I was uh, from a family of modest means, and uh, learning piano was a luxury for me. And giving a concert back then was just simply out of my reach. And I knew that my mother was silently wishing that I would quit piano. (laughs) So I knew then this competition was the only way that I could prove myself
1: mm.
5: worthy enough to study further so so I worked very hard and plus I had amazing teachers, amazing teachers supporting me technically, musically, and psychologically everything and plus, I was lucky
1: so at that difficult point when you know you were doubting you had uh, doubts about whether you wanted to continue. Mm-hmm. But you said you realised that you know you wanted to continue as a career. What made mm-hmm. you realise? What was it about music and piano that you wanted uh, to continue with?
5: I think that's the inner peace. That's what, that's what I think, not only in the piano. In other fields, uh, you search and you doubt. I think without doubting, you cannot find the truth mm. without questioning. You cannot go to the very core of an essence, essential thing. And um, when you find it, I think it gives you real, very deep peace. And there you need to uh, find an accepting, accepting points. It's not only a desire, mm. it's not only dreaming, but there is a certain point that you meet the essence. I think that's it.
1: So it's the love of music, then, is it? You you would say
5: it's, yeah, but it it is love, but uh, it's not just liking it; it's uh, more Mm. like fate, like yes.
1: Uh, Let's jump to also your teaching career as well. After studying in Germany, in the US, in. 1999, you were appointed as a professor at Seoul National University's music department as the youngest faculty member. And you have taught more than 30 students who have gone on to win national and international uh, competitions. How have you found that Mm. side of your career teaching? And Mm. uh, what do you think has made you such a successful teacher?
5: Oh, actually, I was struggling teacher. (laughs) (laughs) And this is really sheer luck that uh, so many, you know, competition winners Because competition was not my goal of teaching. Mm. And uh, they also failed a lot. But I didn't care. But my goal was more ahead. And um, so I cannot say more than just luck. Uh, and I had a terribly good students, uh, amazing students with whom, I could just talk like colleagues, mm. and um, in the beginning, because I was brought up in the conservatory system in Germany, and as a new is the university system, I it was hard for me to understand the system and the curriculum and so on. And I was a very demanding uh, teacher. As a new student, is very capable of learning very quick adapting and their concentration level just oftentimes amazes me. But hard thing was to teach them loving, mm.
1: music loving,
5: mm. human loving. Mm. That was a difficult part. That correlates to what you said about vocation, uh, finding with you know love to this, genuine love to music. And that I wanted to bring. Uh, but... I struggled to deliver this to my, to my students. Uh, most of them realized it when they go abroad and meeting mm. other teachers in other culture, and that they were doing me. Now I understand what they're right. struggling to uh, tell us. Yeah, that has been my years in this.
1: I guess that's from what you learned from your time when you were yes. young as well. Uh, you wanted to give your lessons, those lessons to your children, uh, to the students as well. Yeah. Uh, not just music, but more than that yes. as well. And uh, as we said, uh, we began with the fact that uh, you will join the Peabody Institute in the fall. What are your expectations for that? Uh, what are mm. your goals? What do you uh, plan to do there?
5: Yeah, um, it's a big challenge, adventure. Um, but I also very much look forward to uh, meeting and getting to know the distinguished colleagues mm. and um, the students of diversity, di- diverse students with diverse goals and from diverse culture and diverse potential. Uh, and I look forward to growing together with them.
1: Mm. And you'll be continuing to perform uh, over there as well, right?
5: Yes, performing and teaching. It was in the beginning like a separate two different activities, and I started to, to cope with them. But uh, with the time, it merged into one activity. So I teach like I, I'm performing. I perform like teaching. So it became just one part. So I think I should. I will continue performing and teaching.
1: Well, we wish you luck on your new position. And it sounds like uh, you will inspire more amazing musicians to come as well. Uh, we'll have to wrap it up there. We've been speaking with the pianist Che hee the newest member of the piano faculty at the Peabody Institute at John Hawkins University. Thank you for your time today.
5: Well, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
4: Hello, this is Tiger JK of Drunken Tiger. You are now listening to Korea 24.
1: It's time for us to finish up now with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And once again, for that today, we have Emma Sparks filling in for Richard. Emma, hello. It's good to see you again.
6: Hey, good to see you again.
1: Okay, so what have you brought for us today?
6: Uh, Today, I'm going to introduce a story from Kim Soo Hyun of the Korea Herald, in which she discusses the near celebrity status of Korea's star lecturers. So these televised lectures are nothing new. Mm. Korea's had them since the 1960s, but apparently, the internet has enabled these teachers to amass huge followings and fortunes. Mm. In fact, the status of these lectures uh, has inspired a recent drama focused on a fictionalised celebrity math teacher who brings in hundreds of millions of dollars with his lectures and teaching materials, who shoots commercials and who has a team to manage his public image.
1: So yes, who would have thought a celebrity math teacher of all things. So how close is this then to the reality of these famous teachers?
6: According to the article, it's exaggerated, but not as much as you may think. Mm. Kim offers the example of one famous online lecturer, Lee Ji-young, who shared in 2020 that her bank balance was around 13 billion won and that she was earning more than 10 billion won annually.
1: That's about 8 million US dollars. That's incredible.
6: It is. Um, She also shared that she has a team of specialists who do her hair and makeup before she goes to teach her classes.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, so the full uh, diva treatment then. So (laughs) what is it that has uh, brought these teachers such a high status?
6: Um, Korea has a long history of dedication to education and the cutthroat competition for places at famous schools and universities has been driving students to the lectures of famous teachers for decades. But the internet has revolutionized this area as students aren't as limited by their finances or location. Mm. They can access a quality level of education online. And what's more, these teachers can act as a source of inspiration for students who want to become famous educators themselves.
1: And of course, the COVID-19 pandemic has shown how important online learning is can be as well so Absolutely. i'm sure uh, that has helped uh, them gain more of a celebrity status in recent years as well it looks like this trend isn't going to wane anytime time soon at the moment so yeah so we could in fact see more celebrity teachers moving forward as well okay let's uh, move on to our next story what do you have for us
6: the next story is from the korea times culture editor kim ran it's about traditional korean alcohol now, domestically, traditional Korean alcohol has seen a huge resurgence in popularity among young people. Mm. Um, independent producers of drinks such as makuli have proliferated, and there are bars specializing in cocktails made with Korean soju. Mm. However, not much of this cultural knowledge has spread beyond Korea. Well, this has now changed according to the article. The Korean government has created a book in English opening up the world of Korean alcohol to foreigners. Titled Hidden Charms of Korea, Sul, the book draws from feature articles, interviews and expert knowledge introduced on the foreign language government portal korea.net.
1: Right, so Sul is the Korean word for alcohol and it is a word that is more and more being used when we talk about uh, Korean alcohol, uh, like perhaps uh, sake uh, when they talk about Japanese alcohol. So what kind of information can readers glean from this uh, new book then?
6: According to the article, the book is divided into three parts. Soothing the soul, fusion of traditional and hip, (laughs) and loved by Koreans and the world. So the first section introduces a lot about traditional Korean alcohols such as makgeolli, which is fairly well known abroad. And it expands into much more obscure drinks such as munbeju, which is a drink that's made with grain but has the scent of pears. Um, It also focuses on masters of Korean alcohol that are trying to keep alive some of the more dying traditions.
1: Sure, sure, yeah.
6: Um, Next, Fusion of Traditional and Hip covers more modern interpretations of Korean alcohol, covering innovative premium liqueurs and Korea's craft beer scene. And finally, Loved by Koreans in the World... Sewer experts introduce how traditional Korean alcohol can be enjoyed and they answer questions about Korean drinking culture.
1: Yes, unfortunately, South Korean alcohol perhaps has not had the best reputation uh, in past years, especially with that everyday green bottle of soju is what people mostly associate with Korean alcohol. But there is a whole world of amazing traditional Korean alcohols out there. So I guess it is time that more people around the world do discover it as well.
6: Yes. Where
1: can people interested in this book find it?
6: Uh, The Korean Culture and Information Service plans to offer the book at Korean cultural centres and diplomatic offices abroad um, at foreign embassies and cultural centres here. But anyone not able to reach those locations will be able to find it on korea.net.
1: And also there's more information in tomorrow's Korea Times. That's where we'll leave it for morning edition preview. Thank you for bringing us those stories, Emma, and we'll see you next time. And that's where we're going to wrap it up for today as well. Join us again tomorrow as we continue to bring you the latest news, views and reviews from Korea. Signing off, I've been your host Kwon jang And thank you as always for listening. Goodbye.
2: KBS World Radio